Uh, Pastor Jake has been preaching a series of messages entitled In Context, and um, we talked several weeks ago, and he asked me if I uh, had anything um, that God had been speaking to me um, that would be good for this series. And um, God had been speaking to me about um, the prophetic, prophecy and the prophetic. And um, so uh, he let me um, jump in on the schedule, and so here I am today. And I'm going to talk about um, the prophetic in context. And nothing's, uh, there's a, I shouldn't say nothing's more important. Nothing's more important to me right now at this moment than the prophetic in context. There's a lot of things that are important. But what I'm going to share with you today is kind of a basic understanding of how prophecy should work in the church today. Now, I'm assuming, um, which I shouldn't, there might be some people here, maybe that are new to our church, you have been taught that the prophetic has been done away with, that since the Bible was written and published, that the prophetic has been done away with and that it isn't anymore. And I'm going to tell you right up front at the beginning of my message that that's incorrect and that I'm going to be sharing with you why today. And hopefully um, you'll gain a, um, a, different, a different understanding of um, the topic of the prophetic. I'm, I'm going to start this morning with kind of a definition, kind of a Bible, um, Bible dictionary definition of, of what prophecy or, or, or the prophetic is. Um, Vine's uh, Expository Dictionary says that it signifies the speaking forth of the mind and counsel of God. The speaking forth of the mind and counsel of God. Now there's nothing in that definition that specifically speaks of telling future events. Prophecy can speak of future events, but I, I think I'm comfortable in saying that primarily prophecy is not about speaking about future events. It's simply the Spirit of God speaking forth information that he wants the church to know, an individual believer to know. It's God's Spirit speaking, and God's Spirit speaks to us. God's Spirit speaks through us. And there's a lot of different applications, and I will get to that, but uh, we're going to start, first of all, with that basic definition. It's the Spirit of God speaking, and I don't think any believer would say or embrace that the Spirit of God isn't speaking to people today. Uh, we as believers, when, when Christ dwells within us, he speaks to us. He directs us, he guides us, he teaches us, he leads us, we refine and, and uh, retune our ears away from the world and to the voice of God. And so never, um, 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 <clears throat> no individual realizes the battle that's going on uh, until he gets saved and realizes that there are two voices. Well, actually three. There's three voices in this world that are going on. There's God's voice, the heavenly voice. There's the enemy's voice and the kingdom of this world going on. And oh, by the way, there's your voice as well. And it can get pretty noisy in there. Can you say amen? Anybody experience the noise that goes on in there? And we need to attune our spirits to the voice of the Holy Spirit so that our voice can come in line with that voice and come into agreement. And when our voice comes into agreement with God's voice, that's when we see power and change and victory in our lives. Because the enemy is trying to get our voice, our thoughts, to agree with his thoughts, 
to agree with the world's thoughts. And when that happens, it's death. It leads to death. So that's the battle that's going on. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the prophetic in context for us today, but we have to begin, first of all, with a different context, and that would be the context of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is a context where we get kind of a basic understanding of prophets and the prophetic. I'm gonna start with a scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 18. That's gonna kick us off with an understanding. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all the desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire any more lest I die. Let me set the stage there. God had spoken to them from the mountain, from fire, and they all shook and quaked and shook in their boots because of the mighty presence of Almighty God. And they said, you know, gee, can't you think of a better way to talk to us than directly because this is too scary. And um, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced um, the presence of God that powerfully or not, but, but he, he's, he's above and beyond what flesh can experience. And so he said, okay, uh, this is what I'm going to do. The Lord said to me in verse 17, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and I will put words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my word, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. What he's saying there, let me paraphrase that. Whoever doesn't accept the word of the prophet that I'm speaking through, that person who doesn't accept that word, he's responsible for not accepting that word. That's what I will require it of him means. I won't bring it to a modern day context. Hopefully I'll remember to mention it when I jump over into the New Testament. But this is a warning that God gives to heed the voice of the prophet of that time. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet will die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has spoken? Verse 22 gives the answer. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. And then the, the final words are, you shall not be afraid of him. Now there's two things that he says about the false prophet, about the prophet who speaks wrong. One is that he will die, and the other is that you don't need to be afraid of him. In other words, I'll use other words, you don't need to pay attention to him. You don't need to worry about the words that he says. If they're not from me, you don't need to worry about it. Now, I'll, I'll, um, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. The problem, <clears throat> there's a problem with prophetic words coming about. Many prophets didn't see what they spoke come about in their own lifetime. See, there's a problem with, and, and, and people kind of establish that standard for today. Well, if you give a prophetic word, and that's more forthtelling, giving a future word, something that's going to happen in the future, and they kind of equate, he shall surely die with, we need to put him to death. <laughs> if you speak a prophetic word that doesn't come about, you know, I'm pretending I'm looking at a watch, 
okay, it didn't come about, we have to kill you, you're misinterpreting scripture. Here's why. Because many of the prophets of the Old Testament, the prophetic words that they spoke, specifically about Jesus, over 300 of them, prophecies about Jesus, where he would be born, how he would suffer, how he would die, the things that would happen to him, they prophesied some three, four, five hundred years before Jesus came. So they would all be deemed false prophets until like 400 years later. And we know that that's not the case. So I think what I want to encourage you to do in the Old Testament paradigm is understand that the primary element of a false prophet or a true prophet is, look, if he's a false prophet, don't worry about what he says. It won't come about anyway, so don't listen to him and don't take heed to him. And what, uh, the death that he would face would be something that God would take care of, not you or me. Now there's another kind of situation in the Old Testament that we'll look at in just a minute where death would be more immediate. But uh, uh, suffice it to say that it happening right away was not the test of whether someone was a true prophet or not a true prophet, because many of the prophecies were hundreds of years into the future. The other interesting thing about these passages is God's instruction to not be afraid of him, or in other words, don't worry about what he says, disregard him. God gives instruction elsewhere concerning wrong or false prophets. He reiterates his instruction to them in Deuteronomy chapter 13, and I'm starting here in verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let's go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken not wrong information, but he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall put away the evil from your midst. So we see an establishing of the prophetic function in the Old Testament as the voice of God speaking forth, <clears throat> giving instruction, giving warning, giving encouragement, the voice of God speaking to the people and them receiving that word. And the big test was, did it lead them to God, or did it direct them away from God? And that's the foundational test right there. You notice that the giver of false uh, uh, prophecies, the dreamer of dreams, or even, uh, even the worker of wonders, working wonders is not the paradigm for the power of God, the presence of God, or directing you where you go. It's whether it's leading you to God or away from God. And if some word is leading you away from God, let that check in your spirit cause you to hesitate, cause you to not receive that word, even if it's done accompanied by some sign or some wonder or some miracle. Folks, we live in a day and an age of miracles. 
The miraculous is all around us. And I don't just mean hooky spooky stuff, but stuff is happening around us that's amazing. Stuff of science, stuff of engineering, stuff of, of, of unimaginable wonder just a few years ago. And it's not going to stop. It's going to continue to do that. So your faith is not in those things that you see. Your faith is in God. And those things that lead you to God, strengthen you in God, direct you with God, those are the things that we embrace and that we pursue and that we go after. And things that lead us away from God, draw us away from God, and make us seek other things but God, those are the things we reject and that we resist. Amen? Amen. So we, hear, we see here that that the critical test of a prophet and or a prophecy is, does it lead you to God or does it direct you away from God? In this, in this penalty, in, in this case, in the Old Testament, the penalty wasn't just ignore it. The penalty was put them to death. If they're in your midst and they're trying to draw you away from God with signs and wonders, there was a penalty in the Old Testament. Now, these were, these were uh, Old Testament paradigms, Old Testament explanations. It was in that Old Testament context. And as we transition to the New Testament context, we keep in mind that God is above all and sometimes the rules and the patterns that we aren't comfortable with don't always rule and, and aren't always applicable. So we're, as we look into the New Testament context, we're going to see primarily there's one thing that's the biggest uh, difference and that's that we have the word of God. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. And that's an established direction and guidance and instruction. But before I do that, I've heard some things lately. And these are some of the things that made me start to ponder uh, the topic of the prophetic and the ideas of the prophetic. And uh, the first thing was that some people say that if a word is negative, that it's not from God. If a word is negative... It's not from God. And um, I'll tell you just right up front, that's not true. What brought this up in a discussion <clears throat> was that there was somebody, um, it's been months ago now, concerning the conditions that we're in who had a dream or something like that and was warning people, this pastor was warning people, oh, it's going to get bad. And it's, it's um, I, I forget, it, it was long enough ago and my memory is shot anyway, but uh, I... Um, it's going to be bad and it's going to be horrible and it's going to be dark and it's going to be awful. And he kind of said this in the, on the interweb and it went through all the superhighway and everybody was hearing it and talking about it. And so then the uh, established men, some established men and women of God who we respect kind of chimed in and said, oh, that's not from God. That's not from God. And one of them said, it's not from God. Why not? Because it's negative. And I thought, well, that's not... That's not right. That's not correct. That's not accurate. And, and I wonder, I'm going to explain a little bit in a minute, but I wonder if in this generation that we live in, you and me, in this Christian community that we live in or Christian environment that we live in, I wonder if we haven't become so, so, um, um, so um, wanting to make the gospel attractive that we say... <clears throat> that there's no room for correction, there's no room for instruction, there's no room for redirection, that there's no room in, the, in, in our kingdom vocabulary for no, you can't do that. 
or stop. That's not the way to go. Or there's some stuff coming you need to prepare for. And, and those are all negative. Those are all no's. How many of you know that in the Christian walk when you got saved, I, I'll just speak for myself. When I got saved, the Holy Spirit's voice in me was really involved with a lot of no's. <laughs> no, 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 uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, no. And, you know, I kind of thought at the beginning, I, I was glad that I was zealous and enthusiastic because I was getting a lot of no's. It was getting a little discouraging. No, don't think like that. No, don't act like that. I mean, let me give you a context for that. I was 16 years old. I had thoughts and urges and things that I wanted to do that, I, that the Holy Spirit was just no, 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 no. And so <clears throat> it's, not unlike, it's not unlike a two-year-old. Why do you think that some of the first words a two-year-old learns are no? No, 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 you know? And, and that's pretty normal in the early stages of a Christian walk. And then it develops and it says, well, what do you think? And then, well, it's kind of like, okay, okay. And then it's like, well, what do you think? And now, um, I won't even describe what it is now. I, I must, I'm reverting back to my childhood or whatever. But anyway, no is a part of our development. No is a part of the activity of God in our life. And no is a part of the prophetic word. Just the fact that it's negative doesn't eliminate it from God's conversation to us. And so let's, uh, 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 prophetic words include warning, they include redirection, they include correction, and they include reproof. So let me just get that out of the way. A prophetic word can be negative. And we have this, here, here's the bottom line. You have the spirit of God dwelling in you. You hear a word that is a no and it doesn't sound right, ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you think of that? Do you talk to the Holy Spirit like that? If you don't, give it a try because he'll talk back to you and you can have a conversation and you'll learn and you'll walk in that. Here's another one. Some people say, if we don't see the prophetic word come about, it's not God. I already kind of dealt with that. Also, not only that it, it does happen or it doesn't happen, but God has such a fun sense of humor. <clears throat> I if you've ever had a prophetic word spoken over you and it came about, that's a really cool thing. There was one time where, um, um, I'm, I'm pointing over here to where Deb would be sitting if she hadn't left. She was in the early service. But <clears throat> Deb and I, um, we were pastoring and um, um, we were living in a parsonage and um, it, life was good and our, our daughters were young and we had a guy come and preach at the church and he was a prophet and um, um, at the end he would pray over people and my wife and I um, we were up there for prayer and he was praying over us excuse me I don't, I don't remember him doing this but my wife remembered it because it spoke to a desire of her heart and he spoke of seeing us living in a, in a brick house and the house we were in wasn't brick. It, it was just a little ranch-style house. I see you living in a brick house. And the brick house is huge. Man, this is, that is a big house. It's a huge brick house. 
And man, that lit my wife up. She loved the sound of that. That sounded so good to her. A big brick house. That was really awesome. And um, I'd have to tell a story that's way too long, but I put my wife through a lot of different trials, just being her husband. And um, uh, in the development of that church, and she held on to that word. She embraced that word and held on to it. And in the course of, we built a, a brand new church in that location. And one of the things that we did in building that brand new church was we sold the parsonage and we paid that money toward the church. And we had our old church building. And our old church building was a structure that had a walkout basement. The fellowship hall was in the basement. And I got this bright idea to remodel the downstairs into an apartment. And I mean, the whole church was 7,000 square feet. So the downstairs was 3,000, 3,500 square feet. <clears throat> it was huge down there. And uh, we remodeled that because we weren't using it as a church building anymore. And it was a walkout in the back. And my wife, one day, we were sitting there and she said, oh, that prophetic word just came back to me. It was this, it's a huge brick building. And she says, this is my brick house. Oh, not what I imagined, not what I wanted, but, but that, was, that was the brick house. It doesn't always happen the way we imagine it's going to happen when God speaks a prophetic word. Oftentimes, he'll speak a prophetic word through someone to you that you've been, been longing for an answer for, and it delivers an answer to your heart, and you lay hold of it, and you hold on to it, and that prophetic word holds you through, and, 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 but, and it's out there, but God doesn't tell you what's in here. God doesn't tell you the journey that you have to take to get to that promised land, if you will. And um, it's challenging. But those are, those are just a couple of examples of, um, of um, being, being more long, long-sighted, long-viewed, and not so short-sighted. Another thing that some people think is that you have to be a prophet to move in prophecy, to move in the prophetic. I'm going to share a few scriptures with you here next that show that you and I, you as a believer, are fully equipped and fully gifted to move in the prophetic. And I'm going to show you a, a, a way wider ocean of prophetic than just being a prophet. Now, the word says that, that there is a gift or there is a leadership position called an evangelist. But how many of you know that the Bible also says that everyone here is to do the work of an evangelist? And so there's, there's being an evangelist and doing the work of an evangelist. There's being a prophet and there's living and moving. Let me, let me, instead of saying prophecy, let me say it this way. Living and moving and functioning in the realm where the word of the Lord is active to you and through you. Oh, that's good. I hope you wrote that down. It's on the recording if you need it for later. Where God's word is active to you, in you, and through you, when that is, when that is in, in action, you're, you're living in the realm of the prophetic. And God is powerful that way. Who does, he, who does he have in mind? Well, in Acts chapter 2, Peter, standing up with the 11, verse 14, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk. This is on the day of Pentecost, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour. I like that. These believers aren't drunk. You know why, how we know they're not drunk? It's just the third hour. Anyway, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Speaking forth the word of God in your life. So it appears that God's desire is that all who possess the spirit are equipped to speak words from the spirit and of the spirit. Paul teaches that as believers, we should all desire to function as a voice piece of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 5 says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. The biggest context change, though, and I mentioned it before, let me get back to it now. The biggest context change from the Old Testament to the New Testament is this right here, the written word of God. In the Old Testament context, this guidance wasn't there. He spoke through men, through women. He gave them instruction. Prophets, priests, and kings gave his direction, his leadership, his government, and his voice through them. But today we have the written word of God. And let me talk about that. The Bible serves as the primary words of God and serve as instruction and information, direction and guidance, and a guardrail against false doctrine and wrong information and instruction. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21 says this, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Then holy men of God, gathering under the direction of the Holy Spirit, decided what would be here in these pages and what wouldn't be here in these pages. And so we embrace this as the written word of God, the logos, his expression, his direction, his teaching. In... Um, so rule number one is that the word reigns supreme. This is our instruction. This is our guardrail. This is our guidance. Next, for New Testament prophecy, we need to also, we have this as, as instruction and guidance, but also we need to embrace our own limitations. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. <clears throat> so even as we get information from God, it's not always the whole picture. Not because God has limitations, but because we have limitations. Also, when speak, people speak a prophetic word to us, it may not be the whole picture. It may be false, it may be wrong, but also it may be just a part, maybe not the whole picture. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial, and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. I'm going to tell you when that time is. The Word of God tells us that when we see him, we will be like him 
because we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Now, if somebody died today and they went up to be in heaven in the presence of God, there is a transformation that takes place. There is a knowledge that expands. There's a transformation dwelling in that place. Right now, under the limitations of this world and this realm, we have limitations. But when we see, the Bible says, when we see him, we will be changed. And that change will also open up our mind and open up our understanding because right now we see through a glass darkly. Well, so how do, what does that have to do with anything? How does that affect my life? How does that apply to my life? Here's how. As you and I function in this New Testament church, where we share the word of the Lord with each other, where we say, I just feel like the Lord is saying this. I just feel like the Lord is doing this. Or somebody says, thus saith the Lord. The recipients of that word, you and me in this body, we receive it with grace. We measure it. We measure it against the word. We measure it against what God is doing, what God is saying. We measure it against established truths from scripture. But also, we walk in grace with each other. A lot of churches make a lot of rules to hinder a lot of the move of the Spirit so that they can keep the not the move of the Spirit out of it. Uh, That wasn't very well said, but that's the best I can say it. If we wanted things to be neat and tidy here, where no one's uncomfortable ever and where no one wonders what. Uh, uh, Last week, I wasn't here, I had to work. Last week, you had some manifestations in the church, some laughter. Um, um, Isn't it funny how in the church we're more comfortable crying than we are with laughing? If someone's at the altar, we're going, oh, bless their soul. God is working on them. Oh, Lord. It's a little disturbing, but praise the Lord. It'll be all right. But if somebody's at the altar, we're going, I wonder if that's of the devil. You know, you didn't stop being flesh when you walked in these doors. And when the Spirit of the Lord is working on us, we're going to respond. We're going to react. Some people shake. Some people laugh. Some people cry. If you never do anything, maybe you should check your pulse. I'm not saying that you all should do one or you all should do the other. You just do what, what is happening to you, okay? But the point isn't those things. The point is when you're looking at it, how much grace are you exercising in your analysis of it? Can you say, oh, Lord, have your way. Make room for the Spirit of God. Make room for things that are going on. I don't know about you, but some of the biggest transformations that happened in, happened in my life were emotional, trans, were emotional experiences to me. When I, just, when I just broke down in tears or when something touched me so deeply. God works and moves in those ways. And because we see through a glass darkly, because we only know in part, one of the biggest responsibilities, hear this, that you and I have as believers is to walk in grace and not in judgment. I'm not saying throw your brain out 
and not have thoughts, but discuss that with yourself and with the Holy Spirit and say, what is that about? And leave room for God to work in that way. Another main purpose of prophecy is to speak words of life. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And that's where some people get this idea that a word can't be negative because of this verse. This verse doesn't say the only thing that a prophetic word does is edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. But this is, this is a big part of the primary function of the prophetic word. Because how many of you know, in this world, we have enough that tears us down? Amen? The world wants to defeat you, destroy you, bring you doubt, bring you anxiety, bring you fear. And so if you're going to be a speaker of the word of God and you can speak things that bring life, praise God, you're going to be right in the middle of God's will. Praise God. Well, I love the prophetic. Maybe you can tell. I view the prophetic as the living word of God being expressed, exchanged, and embraced for life in every believer. I think it's a big wide ocean that we can swim in and it's certainly not something we should be afraid of and it's certainly something we should all be practicing. Practice receiving, hearing, and speaking the word of God. Whether you're speaking words from scripture, if somebody asks you to give a, a prophetic word, do you have a prophetic word and, 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 and you, feel like, you feel like you want to speak something but nothing's coming to mind? Just pop this baby open right here and speak from these prophetic words. Speak life from these words. This is, this is the prophetic word of God right here. Or maybe God's working on you and something and say, and say, this is just what God is speaking to me and bring it forth and practice, especially find some friends that you can practice with. You know, I'm just starting to practice this prophetic thing and I just have this thought that I believe is from God and, and share it with, with a friend who, who is a believer and who loves God too and you two talk it over and work it out and develop yourself in that way, that's awesome. Express heavenly ideas and inspiration, share impressions from the Holy Spirit concerning the future or future things, or just living and speaking supernaturally. God's purpose for you is to reflect the person of Jesus Christ to the world. And so here's the context. The context is you and I are New Testament believers. We are connect. You know, we had a great men's breakfast yesterday. Man, that breakfast was so good. It was so delicious. I made it. And we had such a good word. There was a good word there too. Um, um, the, I preached it. The word about... <laughs> and it, uh, uh, there's a scripture verse, New Testament scripture verse that says that the, the world will know that we're Christians by the love that we have for one another. It doesn't say the love that we have for people outside the church. It says the love we have for one another. Uh, and if you grew up in a household uh, where you had siblings, where you were brothers and sisters... Um, you did not, unless you're very special, and I suppose there's someone here who is, but you did not always love them or you did not always feel love for them. There was conflict, but you were always connected and, and, and uh, 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 schisms and divisions aside, um, um, making the effort to love one another as brothers and sisters. God knows the different personalities that are represented in this room. I don't even want to go there. But... To love one another, to, to, to take from the command of God 
to love one another in the supernatural power of God. This is how we're going to be a witness to the world out there. And as we do that, and as we embrace the living word of God, God's going to, God's going to just, just move in a way that, that is beyond our imagination, beyond our understanding. So the best is yet to come. So here's three things I want to leave you with. Number one, in the prophetic move today, the prophetic words today, uh, this test, does it move me toward or away from Jesus? If it moves you away from Jesus, then, then reject it, leave it alone. If it moves you toward Jesus, then even if it's a difficult word, a growing word, embrace it. Number two, does it contradict scripture? Not is it different from scripture, but does it contradict, does it go against what the word of God says? That's a test of the prophetic word today. Number three, you can embrace and agree with prophecy, future or not, and be a part of it. Or you can reject or neglect a word of prophecy. It's up to you. And this is where you move up in a step in your spiritual maturity, in your spiritual growth. But again, let me just finish with this thought. It's not going to be neat. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be tidy, just like it is with two, three, four, five-year-olds or teenagers or whatever. This is the body of Christ. And so let's make room for the word of prophecy in our midst. Stand with me, will you? I want to challenge you. Bow, bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to challenge you today. We have so many people who are coming um, new to the church and and um, seeking God and loving God, maybe, maybe for one visit, maybe you're here for the first time and visiting, and, or, or, or maybe you're visiting and, and thinking about embracing this body as a church that you become a part of. Maybe there's someone here who, who, who is totally, um, this was all brand new to you. You didn't know anything about this. And um, maybe you don't, Maybe you've never prayed and said, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, transform my life. Maybe, maybe that's you. I just want to give you a chance here. You know, God draws us into his family and makes us part of his family and establishes his relationship with us by us repenting, turning from our sins, and crying out to him and accepting his son Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross as payment for our sins. That's what it's about, you know. Jesus came at a point in time in history and he was wrongfully executed. But because he was sinless and was executed for sins, God figured it out where he could be payment for our sins. That is so wild. That's so amazing. Sinless Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. And so when you pray and when you say, thank you, Father God, I I turn from my way, I turn from the world's way, and I turn toward you, then he just floods, floods your being with the presence of Jesus. And it's what the Bible calls being born again. And I just wonder today if there's anyone in this room today who's never prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart. I'm going to pray a prayer. You just pray it along with me quietly in your mind and, and, and invite him into your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for our sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away from them. And I look to you. I want to be yours. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Father God, forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart 
and make a dwelling place there. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for dying for me. I look forward to living for you. And now, Father, I look forward to hearing your voice. I look forward to practicing, following your instructions, following your directions. Give me a hunger for your written word. Open its truths up to me where I've never understood it before. I love you. I thank you for new life and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.